Welcome to the Special Nurses Week Roundtable Edition of the Health Disparities Podcast. We're a group of nurses who share an interest in health equity, and we are meeting virtually from locations all across the USA to celebrate Nurses Week and the birthday of Florence Nightingale. Join us as we talk about all things nursing, why nursing is amazing, why it's challenging, why it's rewarding, and in these changing times, why nursing is even more important than ever. I'm Rose Gonzalez, a New Yorker from the South Bronx currently living in Virginia. This month, I'm celebrating my 40th year as a registered nurse. I'm also a proud member of the National Association of Hispanic Nurses, as well as a member of the Movement is Life Steering Committee. And I will be one of your hosts today. Good afternoon and thank you, Rose. I'm Millicent Gorham, the marvelous, magnanimous, magnificent Millicent Gorham, Executive Director of the National Black Nurses Association for the last 25 years. I'm very pleased to be here with you all. I am not a nurse. I'm only the pretend nurse, but I was inducted in as, a, as a fellow into the American Academy of Nursing back in 2011. So I'm still patting myself on the back for that. Well, hi all, I'm Sharla Johnson and happy day to you all. Um, I'm a board certified orthopedic nurse. My uh, doctorate is in nursing practice with nursing leadership. I am the 2021 president elect of the National Association of Orthopedic Nurses. And I'm employed at Francis Commissioners of Our Lady Health System in Baton Rouge, Louisiana as the System Director of Nursing Informatics. And so thank you for having me and excited because my passion is nursing. I, I love having that call to serve. Hi, I'm Julie Needler. I am a registered nurse for the last um, 40 some years. <laughs> my specialty was operating room nursing. Currently I'm retired but I'm a, a, a member of the Association of Perioperative Registered Nurses and the American Nurses Association. Right now, I have a limited um, com liability company, Needler Solutions, for which I'm president. And I'm excited to be a part of the podcast today. I think it's going to be very informative, and I'm looking forward to it. My name is Doreen Johnson, and as you can see, I'm at work today. I am wearing my mask, as there are many people in the office. I am a nurse for over 40 years, and I am a nurse educator currently in New York City at the Hospital for Special Surgery. I'm also an adjunct clinical instructor at Adelphi University, where I have uh, senior nurses uh, coming in to learn how to take care of patients. I am uh, certified in uh, orthopedic nursing. I have my master's in nursing science and I have been a former board member for seven years on the National Association of Orthopedic Nurses. Uh, nursing has always, always been very, very dear to me since I was uh, a very young girl. And uh, nursing is something that, uh, is invaluable. It is an art. It is something that is within. And so as an educator, I continue to foster uh, that rationale for why we are nurses and why it's so important to our society today. 
Good afternoon, everyone. Um, this is Mary Behrens, and I'm a family nurse practitioner certified. Uh, I've been in practice of nursing over 50 years. I uh, work in a very rural state, the most least uh, populated state in the union. And um, I'm fortunate to be president of the Wyoming Center for Nursing, which is very concerned about nursing workforce issues and uh, nursing leadership. I'm very happy to be here today. So we know it's National Nurses Week, but did you know that the World Health Organization has declared 2020 the International Year of the Nurse and Midwife? It's quite right that we do that celebration this year. So we're having our moment right now. And I'd love to hear from some of the group about what your organizations are doing to mark Nurses Week. So let's go over to Louisiana first and hear from Sharla who's involved with the National Association of Orthopedic Nurses. Thank you, Rose. Well, first, nursing has its own unique superpower, right? Because we've moved National Nurses Week to a month this year in celebration of um, the year of the nurse and midwife in 2020. And so on so many levels, both professional organizations and employers, they're celebrating nurses and their contributions. And so for NAON, we're kicking off our celebratory events during our annual business meeting, which is all virtual this year, and provide. Um, we're also providing a continuing nursing educational offering to all our members and non-members on um, fostering resilience in times of crisis. We're actually doing that on May 26th. We're also having a virtual gathering. This is pretty exciting for our NAON community to celebrate um, not only nurses, uh, the year of the nurse, but also for NAON's 40th anniversary. And I can speak at our at our district level, you know, our state nurses association and our Baton Rouge district nurse association, so many creative ways they're honoring nurses nominated for distinction. They're putting yard signs, they're creating hashtags and having nurses post photos on social media, doing also a webinar on for professional development, Florence Nightingale, um, what her life's calling means for us today as a free CNE to all nurses uh, across the state. And then spotlighting nurses who are involved in volunteering during community engagement work. So a lot of exciting things. How about you, uh, Mary? What's uh, AANP doing? Right. Well, AANP um, is 107,000 members strong, and we certainly support all the activities that are going on um, this month and supporting um, what ANA has uh, purported that we should celebrate all month and just just not the week of Florence Nightingale's birthday, which we've done traditionally in the past. And so the first week, May through 4th through 10th, has been uh, identified as self-care week. So this is a time for nurses to focus on taking care of themselves. And we know now what is going on now with the coronavirus, how important that is. So there are activities, for example, working out at home. There is a coronavirus anxiety workbook that you can get on the ANA website. There's also a CEU on managing stress. And these, this is a, a free event. Um, our advanced practice nurses, our president has been giving daily podcasts, which have been uh, very important doing the front-like work of how to properly do a, a nasal swab down to um, how do I um, safely see my patients and also in, uh, giving support to nurses in this time of stress. 
So, uh, for example, the Wyoming Nurses Association, of which I'm also a member and on the board, we have weekly calls to, to just call in and share if we're having trouble. We have a, a time to get support from our coworkers, which is so key. So the second week of, of Nurses Month is May 11th through 17th, and that is going to be celebrating our nurses and nurses leaders. And I think we're gonna be talking about that a little later in the podcast. And then the third week is professional development, which is May 18th through the 24th. And then the fourth week is community engagement, which is May 25th to the 31st. And I think it's really important um, that what I think I've, I've really seen an increase of nurses on TV and on the radio. And to me, this is ex exciting because I do think that nurses have gained a lot more visibility during this crisis. But there are a lot of activities going on. I was really disappointed. Our national meeting in New Orleans um, was canceled, but the same thing, they're working out of how we can get um, CEUs uh, virtually and that kind of thing. And also how we were going to celebrate. And, and certainly like in my own state and community, Nurses Week, we always got together, usually had a dinner. Um, last year I was, able to be on a, a great event where the Casper Star Tribune, which is the largest newspaper in the state, awarded um, four nursing awards and it was great, but um, I'm not sure how we're gonna do it this year. It'll probably be virtual. So if nurses were interested in getting those booklets, would they just go to ANA.org to- yes. yes. And do they have to be a member to get those free booklets or? Um, is it just, it, or, or they'll find out when they get to the website. Yeah, I, I think it's available to all uh, nurses um, because there's over what, 3.8 million nurses in this country. So mm -hmm. I think I think they're anxious to, to reach as many as possible. Well, thanks for sharing that information. I'm gonna turn over to uh, Julie and find out what AORN, huge organization is, uh, is gonna be doing for Nurses Week. The uh, AORN, which is the Association of Perioperative Registered Nurses, is following the ANA guidelines, and uh, they followed the exact same theme that Mary just outlined. Oh, wow. And so the first week is self-care. And what they've done in keeping, you know, they want people to, uh, to uh, keep um, physically, emotionally, and mentally in check. And what they've done is invited the members to contribute and to come in and uh, explain what they're doing for self-help. So it's kind of an interactive week. And then again, uh, the second week, as Mary outlined, is the recognition where they're showcasing the contributions of nursing. And I think that's really important because I think that's one of the things that we talk about later in the, um, in the podcast is how do we... Um, how do we uh, re recognize the nurses for, for what they do? And then the third week, as she said, was professional development. And that's sharing who has inspired us on our journey. Like uh, who were our mentors, who inspired us and things like that, which I think is really great too. And then of course, the fourth one is community engagement. And uh, again, uh, that's um, having the community involved in uh, and us educating them as to what the nurse actually does. So they followed the same theme. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Um, 
your uh, community involvement um, here at Movement is Life. One of the things we've been trying to do by doing uh, a weekly um, COVID-19 uh, update is touching base with all the program directors and actually urging them to reach out to those participants, most of them in underserved or rural communities to stay connected. We're kind of all feeling so isolated right now. And so, you know, that connectedness, you know, whether it's through a Zoom like we're doing, we're having this sort of afternoon tea or Maybe it's wine and cheese, you know, this afternoon that we're having here together talking about nursing. It's so important to try to maintain that connectivity. How about you, Doreen? And I know you're um, in the clinical arena right now and I, your mask is a beautiful blue. So uh, what, <laughs> what is HSS doing? Uh, Hospital for Special Surgery doing? So as you know, this uh, hospital for special surgery is a total orthopedic facility. And during this terrible pandemic, we turned over to only having one unit as a ortho unit and the rest was COVID patients. So now that the mortality rate and the incident rate has decreased, we are currently in transition. So we actually took over all the overflow COVID patients from New York Presbyterian Hospital and their medical patients as well during this epidemic. A big learning curve for all of our nurses as they learn to take care of many other patients during this time that are very, very different from orthopedics. So we're trying to get back to orthopedics right now. We have one COVID unit left at this period, but the hospital has been totally cleaned and we're getting back to, to normal. So what we're doing is we're thanking. First of all, our chief nursing officer wrote a beautiful letter uh, to all, all the nurses, uh, thanking them for their ability to be able to um, transition so quickly uh, into a high quality of, of care. And so our Nurses Week is going to be focused on mind, body, and self-care so they can support themselves and we're going to support them as well, no matter what they need. In addition to caring for self, we are going to have many videos from that will be delivered uh, through Zoom and other um, e-learning um, learning module systems that will help our nurses uh, be able to uh, resume to what they're actually doing. One of the great things is that our president of special surgery, as, uh, along with our chief or a surgeon, surgeon-in-chief, make rounds on the unit every single day thanking the nurses. And they will continue to do that during Nurses Week. Gifts will be given, massage will be given, massages will be given to the nurses. Um, just all kinds of little thank you. Because we're in the middle of this, this uh, transition back to orthopedics, it's going to take a little time for us to plan a big program. But a big program recognizing the nurses is in the future for us. So there's a lot going on right now. 
including nurse education, getting people back to uh, taking care of their patients that we are already familiar with. Well, that sounds great. And I know um, one of the things I, I took away from what you were sharing was, you know, some of the nurses, you're an orthopedic hospital and the nurses are used to a certain type of patient and your COVID-19 patient isn't your routine patient. And so nursing had to transition. Some needed some more education in order to deal with those complex uh, patients with multi-system failures. And so, you know, that's the other thing. A nurse is not a nurse is not a nurse. You know, we all have super specialties and we all excel. The more we know, the more we know we don't know. And the more specialized healthcare becomes, the more specialized our skills have to become. So I think the general public really doesn't understand, you know, that you can't just pick up a nurse and just put that nurse somewhere else, that there's a certain body of knowledge that they possess, yes. a certain knowledge of skills and the way they interact with patients on a daily basis. And they really fine tune their skill the more they work in a certain arena. Uh, so thanks for sharing with uh, that. And I'm gonna now ask the marvelous, magnificent <laughs> Millicent about what NBNA is doing because I know they are got to be doing a lot of things. <laughs> Millicent? Thank you so much, Rose. I appreciate it. So the National Black Nurses Association represents 308,000 African-American nurses, registered nurses, LPNs, retired nurses, and student nurses all over this country in Africa, the Caribbean, and in Canada. So we are just excited about all the different activities that we are involved in for this week. Starting with today, there will be a letter sent to the members of Congress we're asking all of our members to send a letter to member to their own members of Congress, both the two senators and their U.S. House of Representatives, about their experiences relating to COVID-19 and expressing to the Congress the need for PPEs for the nurses and other frontline providers, about testing and contact tracing, and making an investment in nursing and public health infrastructure. This follows along with the, or elevates, I guess, the information that we sent out to the members of Congress about our legislative agenda for 2020. So we wanted to follow up with that. And I think having them to express their experiences relating to COVID will certainly heighten uh, the members of Congress interest as they begin legislation for the, the fourth stimulus package or legislative package that they are bringing forth uh, very shortly. 14 of our NBNA chapters will receive money from NBNA to support their local COVID efforts. So we put out a call to our NBNA chapters. There are 114 of them in 35 states. And we asked them, what are they doing? What are their needs for their communities? And some of them have come back like Chicago did with saying that they're, they would like to provide their seniors who are living on the south side of Chicago and a senior living facility to provide to them uh, personal hygiene um, items, 
masks, soap, uh, toilet, toilet paper, hand sanitizer. Another um, chapter in Florida wants to provide a senior living facility, members that are living in facility, senior facility with grocery store gift cards or provide them with food baskets because a lot of them can't get out. And some of them are disabled um, and there some are, are mentally uh, disabled at this time. And so they wanna be able to do something nice for, for those residents. In New Orleans, for example, they're partnering with one of the, the New Orleans Black Nurses Association is partnering with the Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority to provide to patients who are discharging from hospitals, the pulse oximeter and thermometer and masks. The Birmingham chapter where our president, Dr. Martha Dawson resides, wants to provide nurses with lunch or dinner. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that the chapters want to do. So we're sending out a, a thank you card to all of our members, just letting them know that we appreciate them. It's being signed by a president. And then there's an affirmation on the inside of the card that just helps to encourage the nurses to keep on doing what they do best and keep their chin up and their head up. We have uh, two webinars that we're doing on this coming Thursday. And those webinars will be continuing education webinars, one on mindfulness and the other one on mental health. So we realize that there are some very serious issues that are going on, nurses who have seen some things that they have never seen and have had to make some decisions that they probably have never made in their lives and probably need to have a moment or two to kind of think about how they're gonna to, to deal with their own mental health capacity and the people that are around them. We are producing a video for the nurses just to kind of pump them up again. Uh, this video will be for, um, for the nurses who have been with us at various MBNA uh, activities, like our National Black Nurses Day on Capitol Hill and our annual conference, and some of the activities that the local chapters are doing. One of the um, exciting things that we're doing is a campaign called Walk in My Shoes. And it's being sponsored by DTLR, which is a retail company, and Puma, everybody's heard of Puma. It's the athletic wear company. And they're asking nurses to send in a brief note about their experiences and a picture of them either in action uh, at the place where they work or just whatever they have on. And then 30 nurses will be able to win two pairs of sneakers that they can wear to work and wear at home. And another 300 pairs will be given out to MBNA members. And then another exciting thing that came to us was working with Sean Combs Enterprises, Sean Combs, better known as Diddy, <laughs> and Team Love. And so they're asking MBNA members to send pictures of themselves to, and they will be posting those pictures on all of their social media outlets. And what they're doing with MBNA specifically, they wanted to give nurses PPEs. So they found out that nurses 
that a lot of times the PPEs will get to the healthcare facility, but that the PPEs may or may not be able to get down to the nurses. They go to everybody. They go to the nurses, the doctors, the respiratory therapists, the pharmacists, the cleaning staff, everybody. And so we wanted to make sure, they wanted to make sure that the PPEs got directly to the nurses. So we're working with our nurses, our chapters in New Orleans, in New York City, Detroit, Las Vegas, and Beaufort, South Carolina. And we're going to drop ship PPEs to those cities, to those chapters, and they will be able to distribute those out to the, to the nurses directly. And then of course, our president has been like everyone else on radio and mm -hmm. Facebook Live and talking about the pandemic. And of course, talking about the wonderful world of the National Black Nurses Association. <laughs> and so she will be doing that uh, on Wednesday morning with on a gospel radio show in San, in San Diego. And she will be on another radio, another radio show as well. So we're really excited about that. Tonight, our second vice president, Patricia Lane, will be on a town hall hosted by the Congressional Black Caucus to talk about the frontline providers and the nurses and what they're going through and what they actually need. So that's just a brief showing of what the National Black Nurses Association is doing during National Nurses Week. Wow, you have covered the forefront. And you know, mm -hmm. as you talk about the PPE and the nurses on the front line, I would be remiss if we just didn't take a moment to thank all our nurses out there at this moment and for all the work that they're doing in this crisis and for the sacrifices they're making and for the nursing organizations who are working hard during this Nurses Week to show them the love that they need. And um, because I think for nursing, you know, we put others first and it's so important to have that self-help, to get that recognition because, you know, your supply of uh, emotion gets, the well goes dry after a while. And the hardships that some of these nurses have seen, the deaths, uh, the, um, the loss of uh, the ability to mourn in groups for families, you know, keeping them separate. I think it's been really hard for nursing. So kudos to nursing, kudos to all the healthcare providers who've been working in COVID-19 and who've been working to keep uh, the, the people of America alive and well. Kudos to all of them, and, and I'm glad we're celebrating. I'm glad all of the nursing organizations are celebrating Nurses Week for the month. So um, thank you, Millicent, um, for, and thank you all, um, all of you nurses for sharing what the organizations are doing. So I think right now, I, I think we're going to shift a little bit, and I want to think about, I want you to think about uh, something other than uh, the celebrations and COVID and, and do some hard thinking into the future and, and kind of think about three wishes you might have that would enhance nursing in the future. If you had three wishes, what would those wishes be and how would you make them become a reality? So I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna start with New York. I'm gonna start with Doreen. I think we have to start off in the nursing schools 
the nursing schools have got to choose nurses or applicants, I should say, that are really dedicated and have a strong heart-filled compassion for the science of nursing. We've got to start there, number one. We also have to look at the psychology of the nurse. I remember when I was a nurse, very long time ago, student nurse, I should say, very long time ago, I had to take a psychological test. And that test asked me questions over and over again to see if I was answering them consistently. People come into our profession not really understanding how much it takes from you personally to be a nurse. And that's why you have to have it inside of you. It really has to be a born felt caring that you can give to other people without any recognition because you don't always get recognition. And when you're looking for recognition, it might not come at that time. It might come another time, but self-confidence is what we're looking for in nurses today. That's number one. That's my first wish. My second wish is to look for a more diverse healthcare force itself, not just in nursing, but 360 degrees around nutritionists, um, rehab personnel, uh, case managers, people who have open minds and that they are able to interact with patients from all walks of life, no matter their race, ethnicity, their culture, their background, it doesn't matter what their address is, what their zip code is, what insurance they have, what their socioeconomic status is. I'm looking for a nurse who feels comfortable going into that patient who's sleeping on the street, who might be African-American and might have sickle cell and might be addicted to narcotics because that nurse might not have lived in that type of society. Now I have to go take care of this patient. And this has to be started from nursing school. And that's what I do with my students. I open that door to everyone. You're not going to just be comfortable with who you are comfortable with. That is not how we open our minds and open our hearts and see the other side of the people who we are caring for. And that's what we have to do. My third wish, which comes from the second, is to develop more or, or recruit more African-Americans, uh, Latinas, and other ethnicities that will match the patient population that we're seeing today. Now, you see it in different hospitals, more or less, depending on your, where you live and what's going on. But we need to get those nurses on board because they can also be role models for the nurses who are not used to it, who don't know the culture, that don't know the lived experience, and are, and are really unable to ask those questions that a person of the same ethnicity might be able to ask. With that role modeling, it will disseminate throughout all cultures 
And so our patients will be able to get the care they need. And right now, they're getting limited care and often are discharged without their care, all their care needs being met, which leads to disparities across the board, as we all know them already. One other thing, I want a place where nurses can be mentored. Nurses have to be mentored. And of course, we see a lot of care being extended to the nurse because of the type of patients we have recently, unfortunately, been caring for. But self-esteem, self-confidence, the need to be able to grow happens when people are mentored. And people must be mentored into this position. It's not just um, a residency, but it's a one-to-one. How are you feeling? They have to be able to be open. And we can develop uh, a nurse that's going to have all different caps. And we have to wear all different caps and do it at the highest quality that we possibly can. So I don't know if that was three wishes or four or five. So I would just sum it up by they need to have a passion care for caring. They need a psych test to see, to understand Absolutely. that they have the skills, the emotional skills and yes. that they need. And then um, you want to see an increase in diversity. Diversity will help all. Um, And then uh, the fourth one was nurse mentorship. It it sounds like some of those things are what we've been working on for a long time um, in many different arenas. I'm going to turn to Julie right now and see if uh, from her perspective in Colorado and with her um, expertise in continuing education, um, what, what are some of the wishes that you might have? Well, you know, I'd like to uh, reemphasize what Doreen said in the area of mentorship, because I wrote that down as one of the um, one of the things that I thought uh, was very important in terms of um, how we increase the nursing um, force, the nurse force. Right now, we have what 3.2 million nurses in the U.S. And um, we're facing a diverse population. We have a lot of changes in new technology and things like that. And I think that uh, we need to um, provide um, information to people who are maybe just going in to college or who are growing up or who haven't decided what it is they want to be and to try to increase their interest in why don't they take a nursing uh, track? Why don't they get education in nursing? So I think mentorship starts way back with maybe a one-on-one or whatever with those that we're surrounded by, you know, our family, our friends, our acquaintances, because those are the people that we want to bring into uh, the nursing field and have provide uh, things for them. The other thing I wrote down, which uh, kind of hit a little bit on what she was talking about, was recognition. We need recognition programs. And Melissa, I tell you that National Black Nurses Association, they are all over it. And they just do a great job, really. I'm I'm so proud of them. Yeah, me too. We need recognition. We need the publicity. We need people that 
uh, through uh, iPods, the podcasts that we're doing, through TV, those avenues we really need to be able to share the value of nursing so that people really understand what the value is and why it's so critical in this time where there's actually a shortage of nurses. And I think at the community level also, that we participation at the community level, getting involved in the health fairs like Charla has been in the past and doing things that uh, put nursing out in front and demonstrate what it is and what the value is. And then I think the fourth thing that I wrote down that kind of is the theme throughout here is leadership. We need nurses to take more of a leadership role. You know, uh, the um, uh, IOM report, they came out and they're saying there's a big value in terms of nurses participating and being more aligned with the physician and being more of a partner in healthcare. So I'd really like to see this be uh, really solidified and really have more of a partnership because I think we can all have experiences in our uh, in the specialty that we are in, whether it's the operating room nurse or, or the orthopedic nurse or whatever. We've all had the instances of being able to understand the value that we have in terms of leadership. So I thought that that was something that would be really important. And that's kind of how I focus my three wishes. Sharla, did you want to say something about this? Yeah, I just wanted to echo, because mentorship, I wrote that word down when I heard the question. And it wasn't as much as having a program for mentorship, but having the willingness of experienced nurses to mentor, love, um, show the way to the newer nurses. I tell you, it brought such distress watching through this, the pandemic and nurses, their struggle, especially new nurses, and this is their first crisis to manage and handle and switching skill sets and leaving from a comfort place into a go into COVID and just the fear. And, you know, there was so much on social media that nurses posted and my heart broke for them because I thought, wow, what a shame. I mean, some were career limiting things that people did. And you're like, if there was just an experienced nurse that would have wrapped her arm around that new nurse and said, let's, let's talk about what you're feeling and help coach them and navigate their feelings through it. So we need the mentor programs, but we really need our experienced nurses to say, I can do that. I have a nephew that's getting married and his wife just got out of school in, in last summer. And she works in the ICU in Tennessee. And uh, the experiences that she shared are really, you know, it's just what you're saying. They need that. They need someone to do exactly, to put their arms around them and say, you know, you can get through this. We're going to do this together. Um, does anybody else want to add anything about this? Mary? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'd like to bring in the fact that, um, I wish all states had full practice authority for advanced practice nurses. Yay! Hey. You know what's interesting? Um, 
We have 22 states that have full practice authority, but with this COVID emer uh, emergency, six states, Kentucky, Louisiana, <laughs> Massachusetts, New Jersey, uh, New York, Virginia, and Wisconsin lifted their, their requirements for either supervision or collaborative agreements. And I'm so proud of these states and yep. I'm, I'm hoping they continue this good work. And I just wanted to share poor California tried and um, nurses have to pay between five and $15,000 out of their own practice to have cooperative supervisory yes. agreements with physicians. So uh, I, I, I'm just hoping prohibitive. we're gonna wake up but that that's one wish I wanted to good wish Mary good wish <laughs> yeah and the, the other thing in, in terms of I mean I agree with everything that's been said and it's so important but leadership you know there's the national coalition of nurses on boards movement and you can go to that website their goal is to get 10,000 nurses on boards by 2020 and I do believe if nurses are serving on boards whether they're health uh, focused or not can be leaders in their community to make the environment better, to help in so many, many ways. If you're gonna be making decisions, it's nice to be in the boardroom. And uh, I think we only still have, well, we have one nurse from Illinois, you know, elected uh, in Congress. And uh, I'm so I'm hoping more nurses will think about that uh, adventure. And I was just so pleased, 60 Minutes, I think the latest one there, on this show, they had an NP from rural Texas to talk about the problems yeah. of providing care in a rural community where the hospitals are closing and patients are afraid to come in for just their management of their chronic illnesses. So uh, that's, I guess, what I'd like to share. Rose, this is Millicent. I'd like to just remind everyone that Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson is also yes, a nurse. Right. I thought I had skipped over her and I'm glad she reminded me because I know she's there. <laughs> but I would like to see nurses, I think what Mary has said in terms of getting on boards, I really would like to see more nurses on Fortune 500 corporate boards. I think that they have the intellectual, business savvy, in order to sit on these boards and get paid for their intellectual capital. Thank you very much. I would also like to see nurses get their terminal degrees earlier. I think that they need to make a plan and uh, get pushed by their mentors and their advocates. And congratulations to Dr. Charlotte Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> for uh, getting her, her DMP. So thank you so much. We need more nurses who are getting those doctoral degrees and we need them to get those degrees early and hopefully they will be in, uh, in the area of academia and in research and any other field that they wanna go into. And I think that the mentors and the advocates need to prepare them for different kinds of careers in nursing and outside of nursing, but within the nursing field itself to think about becoming a clinical trials coordinator or working in retail healthcare. Um, we need to have them in all different aspects and we need to have them there early in their careers as well. 
And then the last thing I would like for them to do is to look at the world is their oyster. It's not just here in the United States. They can go and do anything anywhere. And clearly, because we're on Zoom and all these other platforms, they can do anything that they want to all over the world. So I think that they need to be prepared and pushed and groomed to do just that. I want to say, I, I remember growing up in New York City in the South Bronx, and we, we used to go to a family physician. You know, I didn't know what a nurse was. I didn't know what a nurse was until probably maybe in my 20s, because if you didn't go to a hospital, you didn't see a nurse. They weren't in the provider's office. So um, so nursing, I, I came to nursing late in life, and I was blessed to get um, an opportunity to attend nursing school, and I had a wonderful mentor in college. But what I wanted to say was we forget how important those early years are in school. And that's why many times people of color have difficulty getting into those uh -huh. nursing programs. Nursing, I will say nursing was so, so hard. Um, and uh -huh. we're always not, we're, we're not always as prepared, but um, those maths and those sciences, that STEM program, so, you know, my wish is that children all over of, of whatever race, creed, color, whatever, get exposed to nursing and get exposed to the sciences and math and English so they could be successful in their academic years and that they get the support that they need to succeed and complete a program. Because if I, if I did not have the support I had at college at the small college that I went to, I don't think I would have become a nurse. And for me, nursing was a transformative uh, part of my life and changed the trajectory of my life. So I would wish that even as we have kids out of school, children out of school right now, and I worry about how much learning they're losing, that nursing isn't something you just jump into. Nursing is lifelong learning and it starts from youth. And when you get your foundations is, it's like a good home. You have your foundation in of your mass and sciences. So I, my wish is that school take all children seriously and prepare them for a wonderful trajectory in education that they get exposed to their maths and sciences and a mentor that could help them explore the world and explore the world of nursing because nursing as you said, if you, if you listen to us right now, we've got nurse practitioners, we have a, a doctor of nursing practice, we have people in the OR, we have people who are running organizations, we have people who are educators, and we have people in policymaking positions like a Lauren Hill or Eddie Bernice Johnson, you know, making decisions that in fact impact the whole world. We've had secretaries uh, of health and human services who have been nurses. So, we, we need to broaden everyone's perspective about what a nurse is and what a nurse can do. It's a lifelong career, but it starts from very young and we need to expose children to the world of nursing very young and the world of, 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 and the STEM world uh, so they can be successful. So I'm gonna turn a little bit because we talked a little bit about leadership and I know um, we're in this COVID crisis and we have gone in and out of uh, COVID, but what do you think 
nursing leadership can do, aside from what we've been talking about, the celebration of nursing, what do you think leadership can do, nursing leadership can do to help nurses feel valued during this crisis? Because I think, you know, what I see on TV is, you know, we don't have PPE, we're working so hard. I know some organizations are starting to do things. I think ANA has started uh, to partner with some hotels to provide rooms for nurses who don't want to go home and infect their kids potentially. So how can nursing leadership um, really demonstrate to their nurses that they're valued? How about we start with you, Sharla? That sounds great. And I'm going to plug off a of Millicent. So from the capable, caring, and competent Dr. Sharla Johnson. Um, you know, <laughs> so as, um, you know, as, as a uh, as nurse leaders, you know, first of all, in, in the middle of a crisis and this pandemic and the things that I've, I've seen, I think as leaders, we need to graciously listen to the concerns, fears, and triumphs of our staff. You know, we really need to give them permission to be honest and say what they're feeling because these it's, it's raw, right? Mm-hmm. And as leaders, we um, we won't always have the answers, but there are things that we can do. We can be present. We can be humble. We can be transparent. Um, we need to help them navigate these emotions and and move on and and be success, successful. And then they can be proud. And then it's the you know learn one, do one, teach one, so that they'll be able to do that to others and be leaders. I think that um, we need to let nurses do their job. And again, while they're providing care to the patients and give, we need to be able to give them quality feedback, especially in transition um, and skill sets. Um, But we also need to be in tune to when they need help. You know, some people aren't always good at asking. And so we need to be in tune and don't let our people drown. And then I think, you know, um, in every crisis, what helps individuals, even in our personal lives, but it goes in our professional lives. Stability means everything. And so I think providing a level of normalcy at a unit level and a a team level is good. Um, And then showing kudos and recognition in the moment and, you know, writing them notes and, and sending them emails and letters and taking team selfies, you know, to help them know that they're not alone. They are part of a team and a a greater good and refill their bucket that way. And that will help encourage and encourage self-care, right? To give them permission to know that you have been through stress, you're going through stress. Now let's talk about it. Let's talk about the one good thing that happened today. Talk about the thing that didn't go so well today so you can let it go. Um, but I think those are some really key things that nurse leaders can do. It didn't cost anything to do those things. It just uh, means being present, listening, um, telling people thank you and encouraging them. I, I, I like those. Um, I think being present, acknowledging it's so much can be done without, you know, trying to have a big hoo-ha, but noticing when someone is feeling stressed because they can't save the patient and acknowledging that, allowing them to have their feelings, you know, helping them to find a way to be, do self-help because so many times we feel that's a luxury for us and we're being selfish to do self-help. So 
for a leader to give the kudos at that moment to hug them maybe, or we can't hug at this time, you know, but I'm like, <laughs> we can so elbow. I'm everybody, you know, I, I don't know. So, you know, uh, send them virtual hugs or whatever you do, the bump or whatever, but showing them that you're there for them because so many times those nurses who are killing themselves, sometimes they see leadership in their ivory towers and they feel like they can't relate them. You know, uh, Doreen, you were saying they were making rounds on the floor. I think that's so important to show they are part of a team. You need your team to get it together. And I like the piece about normalcy because you need some sort of routine because this is so, I was uh, saying to something, if this is like an alternative reality we're living in right now. And I keep hitting the button for Scotty to beam me up, <laughs> but I don't, and I'm still here and the dog's still here. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, it's Groundhog Day again. And like, you know what, what, you know? And so I think it's important for the nurses who see sometimes no end to the disaster that there will be coming in. We just have to get through this moment today. Tomorrow's another day we gotta get through. So leadership who could do that, that is very important. So thank you for sharing that. Charlotte, what about you, Mary? What do you think? <laughs> well, I, I, I think even simple things like arranging for meals to be brought in. There are many of these restaurants obviously that are struggling, but I know there've been many groups that are bringing in either coffee or donuts or food. And I, I know the floor nurses have really appreciated just those simple things of, of first of all, um, maybe wondering where they're gonna get their uh, next meal or not. And, and, and that's certainly appreciative. I know this sounds, this is probably pretty Western, but we've started Howl Casper and it's kind of taken over not only in Wyoming, but in Colorado, but at eight o'clock every night, everybody comes out and howls. And so we have a lot of dogs howling too, but they're howling for the nurses and the first responders. And I'm telling you, it is, it's such a great relief to get out there and to be able to howl. And then these nurses are sitting at the windows seeing, for example, that we have a park in front of our Wyoming Medical Center. So people get in their cars and howl out their windows. And it's, it's, <laughs> I love it. You need to post that. That needs to be posted so we can see it. Well, I do post a lot of it on Facebook. And the funny thing is, if people have dogs in the car, the dogs start howling. I love it. I love it. I love it. It is great. So, I mean, <laughs> that is sometimes, great. Sometimes I think we just have to kind of make our own, uh, uh, how do I want to say? Make uh, our own fun. Fun and <laughs> a release. Because I also yes. find it, to me, uh, very releasing that it makes me feel good. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> we know you like to howl now, Mary. <laughs> Everyone else is clapping. You're howling. That's cute. <laughs> I can, I'll try to post more about that. <laughs> Does anybody ahead, else? Julie. Anybody else? Go ahead. Yes, I think it, outside of us in nursing doing this, you know, you see the blue angels flying over, yeah. the appreciation. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful way. Yeah. The other thing is we howl here in Colorado yeah. too. Yeah. We're doing <laughs> right. a howling thing. But I think the, the fact that there are people out there that are going to restaurants and buying all the food and taking in 
to the first to the first responders and the healthcare people. That is amazing what they've been able to do. Well, those things have to provide some kind of support and comfort to the to the healthcare professionals. Rose, I think also that it goes back the other way as well that the nurses who are on the front lines need to thank their leaders. Mm -hmm. Because when the leaders are acknowledging that they're going through something different and difficult, but they're trying their best to honor the nurses, that the nurses can go back to them and say, you know, you are a great leader. We really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you for stepping up for us and talking up for us. And we really appreciate that. And HSS, I have to say, is did a wonderful, wonderful job. COVID-19 management, leadership was just excellent. They provided transportation with big buses, with 25 people in a bus that held 50 or more from each borough. And there was a place where the employee would meet the bus, the bus would take them to work and bring them back home. That was fabulous. They also provided an agency for childcare for parents who both worked and still need someone to take care of the kids because we know that schools are closed and there's no one there to take care of the children. So they provided an agency that the nurses could call and screen uh, the child care provider to make sure that they were someone that they uh, would feel comfortable leaving the person with. They also provided hotels and apartments throughout the city for the nurses to go to instead of going back home uh, to their families during their care with COVID patients. Special surgery also provided people to work at home if they could work at home and they would get full pay. If there were nurses who could not um, work for whatever reason, instead of using their benefit time, their vacation time or holiday time or sick time, they were able to stay home and get paid at 80% of their salary. Um, That's really there, generous. It was wonderful. I have to give my kudos to the leadership here. Our president, our chief nursing officer and our surgeon in chief were just wonderful. And the surgeon of chief and all the leaders actually gave a COVID-19 update every day at 1 p.m. And everyone was able to Zoom on or Skype in and listen to their updates. And our surgeon in chief is such a great speaker. Uh, he gave so many words of wisdom, so many words of comfort, uh, during this so very stressful time for the nurses and their families and questioning, you know, nurses had so many questions because there were so many unknown uh, answers to so many different things. And he was just so comforting to everyone, even when he made rounds on the unit. So uh, those are some of the things that HSS did and kudos off to leadership. I would like to thank the uh, Hilton Corporation for partnering with the National Black Nurses Association. We uh, went into a partnership with them last week and to make sure that 
our members too could take advantage of going, just registering for hotel nights for a week or so until, until May the 31st at a Hilton property. So I wanted to thank them for that. But I, but I also wanna stretch my hand out to my other colleagues that are managing nursing associations. And quite frankly, it's pretty stressful for us as well. There are a lot of things that we have to keep up with because you all are, you all are just out there doing what you're doing. And we're just trying to make sure that the doors stay open <laughs> back home. So we're we were fortunate, I was fortunate. I have a great staff. And so when you're talking about helping them on the front lines when they're doing things that we don't normally do, like working on Saturdays and Sundays and Saturdays and Sundays uh -huh. and more Saturdays and Sundays. Uh -huh. <laughs> so you do have to pat them on the back. And so one of the things that I've, I've done over the last couple of weeks is to provide lunch to them. And I've learned some new things about doing uh, Grubhub and, and DoorDash. <laughs> <laughs> providing, uh, you know, just a little incentive to keep them smiling and keep them going as well. We've all had an opportunity to kind of share about um, how leadership should uh, behave and how we should behave towards leadership during this difficult, challenging time. And, and I think there are many people who are doing the right things right now. So for our next topic, I, we touched on this topic a little bit, um, but I'm going to delve into it a little bit more right now, and that's the issue of diversity and inclusion. We know that nursing still remains a predominantly white female uh, profession, and um, I know this, this topic is really important uh, to move in this life because we're always looking at addressing healthcare disparities. And we know that more diversity within nursing means better care for people of color as well as the general population overall. So we know it's a wonderful profession. We want everybody to have an equal opportunity to participate in this nursing career of ours. So the question for the group is, how do you or your organization promote nurses of color? We already know some of what, uh, and there's a huge sum of what uh, Millicent does with MBNA. They are a premier organization. And just from what you said, you've been doing such great things for the members of your organization, MBNA. I'm gonna start where, where some of you started earlier in terms of the students. We do give out thousands of dollars hundreds of thousands of dollars in scholarships. We wanna make sure that these students come out of, out of school as debt-free as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's from the LPNs through doctorally prepared nurses. We wanna make sure that they are publishing, um, not just because they're in academia or just because they're in research. They have so much to offer in terms of what they're doing at their, their facilities and what they're doing in the communities in terms of lessening healthcare disparities and improving health equity within, within their community. So we want them to be able to publish those kinds of things that they're doing. I think those are the kinds of things that help promote them. And I think even at their hospitals and within their, within their schools of nursing, that they need to be able to be on some of these what I call super panels, advisory panels, IRBs, 
um, to, to really begin to understand how they can be valued in different arenas within their, within their hospitals or within their schools of nursing. So often they think that that's for somebody else. That's for the person over there, that they need to, right. to you know, get away from their fear factor and to know that, yes, I've been taught by the best. I had the best mentors in the world. And now it's time for me to put my toe or my foot or my whole leg, as we say, as movement is life, into that water and let people know what you can bring to the table. And I think you will find that when you have a diverse population of nurses, that they bring a diverse um, ideas and innovations to the table. I think you will see a lot more different kinds of ideas that will help push the health equity needle along. Thank you, thank you. That sounds wonderful. The scholarships are really helpful and I think Many times people of color try, are worried about taking out loans for school. You know, what am I gonna go, oh, at the end of it, will I get a job to help me pay for that loan? So scholarships, grants, anything that we can do to, to decrease that barrier to really moving forward in that educational process is, is great. Uh, anybody else wanna, talk about this uh, issue, inclusion, what their organization might be doing? Well, this is Mary. Um, I think that talking about our organization, but also our profession, that our educators need to look like uh, more like society. And so our, our workforce needs work of in, in broadening um, inclusion, but we've got problems in our own faculty and I think we need to encourage people of color to get, you know, more advanced degrees and to become part of the faculty. Cause if you look at the statistics, they're not, uh, that, that great. And as you move along, um, it becomes even more, I think, limited in advanced practice nursing. Um, for example, I looked at the faculty, uh, generally speaking, it's 81% white. This is an advanced practice nursing. 3.7 Latino, 8.4% mm -hmm. Black, and 2.7 um, Asian, and 0.4% Native American. And certainly that's an issue in our state, the Native American. Um, it's, it, it's, it's very difficult to, um, I think the importance of mentorship, of someone guiding someone along the track of how they can um, become go into nursing and how they can succeed. But I think if that's important, we need to look at our faculty as well as, and you know, if we've got a more diverse faculty, I do believe we're gonna start attracting, I mean, that will help us attract more diverse students too. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, there was rarely, I rarely saw a person of color when I was in nursing school. I was so. <laughs> It was like, and usually you were the only one, you mm -hmm. know, so I always saw myself as the Highlander. They could be only one. And so, um, you know, and you're looking for support and mentorship and it's not always there. So that's really important to have more faculty. Uh, Doreen, did you want to say anything or? No, I think, I think you, you ladies uh, hit it on the head. Millicent Rose, you helped hit it on the, the head. I mean, we need more inclusion. That's for sure. And um, 
scholarship issues are so important. They're so necessary um, because people really don't know, you know, where they're going to get the money, how they're going to pay for it, how they're going to survive. And if something happens during the school year, then they have to repeat that course. And then they have to pay that semester all over again. Many times there, there are issues like that, that I hear from my students anyway. So yeah, it's a little difficult. Yeah, very um, I'm going, I want to dovetail a little bit into uh, the different roles of nursing. And we talked a little bit about it and I know we're getting closer to the end of our time, but I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, I said it before, a nurse is not a nurse is not a nurse. We have uh, different opportunities and diverse roles in nursing. And I want to just, for those listeners, talk a little bit about the world of registered nursing. And um, I know we have licensed practical nurses, Millicent, they're very big in your, you have members in your organization. I know in the National Association of Hispanic Nurses, we have members of LPNs, but I'm going to uh, focus a little bit on the world of RNs. And so we have a registered nurse who's trained, um, but they can take additional education and training and they could become an advanced practice nurse. So uh, I'm I'm gonna turn a little bit to you, Mary, because you talked about decreasing barriers for APRNs. Talk to us a little bit about the world of advanced practice nursing. And then I'm gonna turn it over to uh, Charlotte to see if she could talk to us a little bit about the DNP. So, um, uh, Mary. Sure, I'm happy to. There are actually 290,000 advanced practice nurses in this country, and they're growing by about 20,000 per year graduates. So it, it's a growing profession. And there are actually four roles as an advanced practice nurse. There's a certified midwife. There's the uh, nurse anesthetist. There's a clinical nurse specialist. And then the nurse practitioner. And... Um, they can do many things and their role is very diverse, just like our ends. They could be working in the hospital. They could be working in a physician's office. They could be working in their own office. Um, they can be working in schools and clinics. And an area now that's rapidly growing that I think is ignored a lot is advanced practice nurses are working in uh, prisons and jails. And um, that that's a huge... Uh, uh, growing field right now. And certainly another area that is in huge demand is, is mental health. Um, there's such a, uh, a need for that. Most nurse practitioners um, are in primary care, so they're out there in the trenches, whether they're in a rural area or in a large city, but they're usually taking care, I think, of the most vulnerable people. Uh, I know when uh, in my practice, we take Medicare, Medicaid, I have um, many patients from the jail and we, we never turned anyone away. I think this is kind of, um, I think this is where many people are able to enter the healthcare system is through advanced practice nurses. And if they have full practice authority, they can hang their shingle and, and, and that's even um, better. Um, I wanted to say two studies have shown, which is really interesting, is you even see, um, you know, pediatric intensive uh, uh, care nurse practitioners. And a study that was done at the University of Rochester found that if a neonatal nurse practitioner was taking care of a, a really uh, difficult um, 
patient that they spent fewer days in the hospital and because of that, the costs went down. And the idea being there that nurses tended to be more consistent caregivers and they could follow the infant through their entire stay versus say, and I don't wanna, you know, medical residents that are kind of coming in and out and that kind of thing. So I wanted to put a plug in for that because I think nurse practitioners are nurses first. And that's what the strength I think we bring to the table is we look at the whole, the whole patient. And um, so it, it is exciting. And the nurse practice, when you think we're 290,000 strong, um, I've seen it when back in the day when people were, were saying, what's a nurse practitioner? And now I find that, you know, many people do know and say, oh, I, I'm being taken care of by a nurse practitioner. And I'm really happy with that person, whether it's it's a guy or a gal. So. Yeah. That's a nice overview, Mary. Thank you for that. And I'm going to turn it over to uh, uh, Charlotte, because I know leadership is huge. And a lot of the nurses now, the, the nurse practitioners are going for their DNP, but you don't have to be a nurse practitioner to get your DNP. In fact, Charlotte's the graduate. So talk to us a little bit about the DNP. So um, you can, you, uh, it's a terminal degree and the doctor of nursing practice helps prepare the nurse to assume um, leadership roles and executive roles within healthcare organizations, whether it's a hospital or a clinic. And um, it's really about the implementation of quality improvement and the integration of evidence-based practice uh, within that setting. And so it, it's, not, it's not bringing in new research as that would be like for the PhD um, terminal degree. This is bringing in already best practice and integrating it. And because we know that when best practice is implemented, we have improved quality outcomes, safety outcomes. There's a return on investment from a fiscal standpoint for healthcare organizations because you have less errors, et cetera. So um, it's, it is uh, becoming um, very popular and uh, for nurses. My master's was in nursing education and I chose to do my doctorate in nursing leadership. Nice. Thanks. And um, I'm going to turn to Julie now because um, Julie has been the owner of her own business and has done a lot. You have a doctorate and you've done a lot of work in the continuing education uh, arena. So talk to us about having, as a nurse, having your own company and, and, and that role that you play in doing that work. Well, I think it's interesting because um, when I was coming up through the ranks, I, uh, I went to a school and got my bachelor's degree. In fact, we were the first class who actually got the bachelor's degree in nursing. Everyone else had the diploma. But anyway, then um, I was able to go on and get my master's. Well, in my master's program, I had a stipend. You know, at that time, you could get a, a government stipend for your master's. So I worked full time in the operating room and tracked in both teaching and administration. So then when I got out of um, my program, I was able to actually uh, become the leader or the supervisor or whatever they call them, VPs now, of the operating room. And then I went on to get my uh, doctorate in uh, adult continuing education. Because my, my whole thing is, 
I don't want to be out there teaching the new, the new the person coming up. What I wanted to do was how do we teach the people that are on the front line? So I had the opportunity in 1981 to form my own company uh, with some other nurses. And our mission was absolutely how do you incorporate new technology and teach nurses that were in the front line what they needed to do. So our whole focus was on new technology because I remember the day where you had a cataract surgery, right? Yes. And you put wyadays in there to loosen up the cataract and you had to go in there and you had to peel it off with a knife. You had to go under general anesthesia. Somebody had to, you had to stay in the hospital overnight and everything. Well, look what you do today. It's an outpatient procedure. You go in. Yeah, they just do the fake emulsifier and that's it. Well, if you're a nurse, how do you transition in terms of technology? How do you learn the new IV systems and the pumps? How do you learn the new telemedicine stuff? How do you learn the new laser techniques? And so the focus of the company that I worked with was really teaching nurses new technology. And we did that for 31 years. And I think it was, to me, it was so self-satisfying because um, you, you were able to practice nursing. And that's why when you talk about the roles of nursing, nursing is so diverse. Mm -hmm. You can do anything if you become a nurse. And I have a friend who had children and they grew up and she became 40 years old. What am I going to do? I'm an empty nester. She went, she got her AD, she got her baccalaureate, she got her master's, and she's a nurse practitioner in Delaware working in a pediatric clinic. She loves it. And so it's so interesting because people can uh, go through and, and learn and, and become educated and really I think it's, uh, there is so many opportunities. You know, you can practice in any specialty. You can uh, work in uh, corporations. You can work in pediatric clinics or whatever in hospitals. There is so many things. You can work in education, so research. So I, I think it's just great. Yeah, I think that, you know, you say and the way you express yourself brings me the reason why I love nursing so much. I mean, your passion for it, your enthusiasm, and just bringing the diversity of the role that the sky's the limit and that we still don't know how far nursing will go. We're still growing and we hope to achieve, you know, the greatest for nursing. So thank you so much, Julie, for that enthusiasm. So. You know, we're, this is a, a final, we're gonna, we're celebrating the 200th anniversary of the, the birth of Florence Nightingale, the founder of Mo Modern Nursing, woohoo! Woo um, she was a reformer and a statistician. And um, this question relates to the Health Disparities Podcast because measuring disparities is the statistical process of getting, getting evidence. There you go, Charlotte, evidence-based of what <laughs> needs to change. So Florence Nightingale has always, has always been my nursing icon. So I'm gonna ask a quick round. 
who is your nurse icon? Who is that superstar nurse that you look up to? So I'm going to start with Doreen, because I know you have to leave early. Yes, yes, yes. Um, superstar nurse. Well, there are a lot um, in the African-American uh, nursing society that you look up to over the years. But I'm going to say more currently, I'm going to talk about a nurse that I had in my master's degree program. And I still look up to her today, even though it's many, 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 many years later. She was, uh, she taught me leadership. And, and I did my nursing, my master's in nursing administration. And she went all the way to her PhD. And she had a family and she had three children and she lived uh, um, in Connecticut instead of New York City. And she always reached out to her students later on to find mm -hmm. out where they were, what they were doing, how she could help. She even offered um, us to teach, teach in her class, the person that I talk about as a mentor, as a role model in nursing, someone who you can always reach out to. I have another leader who was also the CNO of Wyckoff Hospital, uh, Barbara Lowe. She's on several boards right now and she's retired and she, is, she reads everything, .gov, 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 and she brings it to me. She is, these are, these are strong leadership people that are in the background and don't need to be in the front unless they want to be in the front. You know, they're not self-serving, they're serving others. Those are the people I look up to today. Rose, I'm with you. Florence <laughs> is my woman. I mean, she is, she was relentless, right? I mean, she believed um, that she had received a calling to be a nurse and she transformed the image of nursing in the public's mind. She used her gifts, her talents, her education, her influence to make a global change. Her writings, her data, her insights influenced how patients are triaged, how hospitals are built, how schools of nursing operate. She demanded standards. She based care on evidence. She is my hero. I'm with you, girl. I'm with you. And, you know, just as a tidbit in this day, and I talked to Charlotte about this was, you know, she taught those nurses to wash their hands between patients. Mm -hmm. And in the, at the, in the Crimean War, she actually urged individuals to put the beds at least three foot apart because they were on top of each other practically. So think about it now as we're doing social distancing. She was the woman ahead of her time. She's the superhero. And she was a hero. And she was a woman in a male-dominated society. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, really... I'm with you, girl. All right, yeah. I'm going to turn to Julie now. <laughs> well, my uh, icon in nursing, her name was Lucia Lewis, and she was an instructor at uh, Loma Linda University, where I got my master's degree. And um, I wasn't always the sharpest uh, person on the block, you know, and in nursing school, I got an F in GYN. Can you believe that? <laughs> but anyway, I, I hate that course. <laughs> anyway, um, she had a lot of faith in me. And uh, even though other people said, you'll never make it, she really was encouraging 
And she's the person who actually um, outlined a lot of the um, process of nursing that we use today. Wow. You know, the assessment, implementation, oh, planning, implementation, and implementation, and evaluation. Apply. Yeah. The, the, four, the four parts of the nursing process. Right. And uh, she just always been my hero because she was so encouraging. And, and I got through my master's program. In fact, I finished my thesis before I was the first one in the class. So wow. I was very happy and um, I couldn't have done it without her. Persistence and perseverance. There you go, Julie. That's it. There you go. All right, Mary. Yeah, yes. Well, first I'd, I'd like to say Florence is respected all over the world. And when I go to Vietnam and teach, the first thing they showed me was a statue of Florence Nightingale at the Tropical Disease Hospital. So She's respected the world over. But the hero that I would like to mention today is uh, Dr. Loretta Ford, the grandmother of advanced practice nursing. And uh, the interesting thing is this is Florence's 200th birthday and this is Dr. Loretta Ford's 100th birthday this December. Wow. And she oh, wow. is living, so she is a living legend. Is but she still alive? She is still alive, yes. She's, in in fact, she's active and, and thriving. And so one of the disappointments, there was going to be a big celebration in New Orleans. And somehow we're going to have to figure out how to do it soon, uh, that we can do it. But, you know, she uh, grew up, uh, I believe, in New York area, graduated from high school when she was 16. And, of course, she couldn't in that day and era go to college. She was too young. So she went, became a, a nurse's aide. And uh, then when she, a year and a half later, she could then go to a hospital nursing school. And of course that started off her career, but she ended up in Colorado and um, her passion was actually public health. And she realized that there were no, there weren't any physicians kind of in the rural areas. And she recognized a need that, that she felt that there was a role for nurses to be um, expanded and improved and to, to provide care to these uh, people. And she found a pediatrician um, who at the University of Colorado who was willing to work with her and develop the first uh, program. And when she talked about, I, I actually got the opportunity to hear her speak uh, at our, our fellows meeting this winter. And she was talking about, you know, when public health nurses back in the day had to do everything. and. She had a patient who was diagnosed with TB and she did, went around and did the analysis of how this patient could have been exposed and she couldn't find any contacts. Of course, these are things we're doing now with COVID. Mm -hmm. And so she finally called the local vet because this client had a dog, a German Shepherd and wondered if, if the client could have gotten it from the dog and the, the uh, veterinarian said, yes. So she, then said, well, how do we figure this out? And so basically, she, he said, well, you've got to do a, a TB skin test like you do on humans where you inject uh, in under the surface and the forearm. And so she described, she's a very small woman, of having this German shepherd trying, who had both paws on her shoulder, <laughs> trying to calm him enough to get this skin test in. <laughs> so... 
I think this is uh, the other thing is nurses are so creative. We figure out how to get things done. But anyhow, that was the birthing of advanced practice nursing. It was a struggle. But when I look today that we're 290,000 strong, uh, it, a lot has happened. And so I think she uh, is my icon uh, nice. for today. Very nice. And, and Millicent, I know you're not a nurse, but you've been around nursing for a lifetime. So if you were a nurse and if you've seen, you've seen a lot, who do you think would be a good nursing? Your superhero, your superstar. I have several superstars. I'm just going to tell you who they are. <laughs> Dr. Linda Bronze Bolton, Dr. Sylvia Trent Adams, Dr. Alicia Georges, Dr. Deborah Tony, Dr. Stephanie Ferguson, Dr. Shirley Evers Manley, Dr. Beverly Malone, and Pat Lane. So, th so those are my those are my go-to icons. Now, the icons that are coming behind all of them are my mentees, and that's Devin Denton, Sasha Dubois, and Elizabeth George. I have three fabulous nurse mentees that are blazing trails, and we're just going to turn this world on its side. So those are my icons. This is so exciting, very exciting. So I want to thank everyone for being on this call and being and helping me, helping us to celebrate nursing and the Nurses Week and Nurses Month actually. And we've had a great conversation. We really should do this again because I, we've all learned a lot. Um, I wanna thank our listeners for joining us on this special round table edition of the Health Disparities Podcast. We all hope that you find this discussion about nursing thought-provoking, maybe even inspiring, and hopefully you've learned something about nursing. From all of us at Movement is Life and the Health Disparities Podcast, stay safe, be well, and join us again soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. Have a wonderful Bye. Nurses Month. Thank you Bye -bye. so much. Happy Nurses Thank Month. You. Bye now. Happy Nurses Month. Bye. 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 Bye.